John chapter 11, verses 17 through 44. Now when Jesus came, he found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and go quickly out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. Let us pray. God our Father, we thank you for this wonderful account that you have given to us in Scripture. 
We thank you for the truths it teaches us. We thank you, Lord, that it doesn't shy away from the hard truths of life in a fallen world, that it shows us grief and lament how we are to respond to these things. And Lord, we thank you deeper still, still for the hope of the resurrection and the truth of Easter it points us to. I pray, Lord, that the words that follow would be faithful to your text, and for all of us, Lord, that this service, all the components in it, Lord, would help to prepare our hearts for Lent, and ultimately to prepare our hearts for the resurrection. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Right, and so one of the things that we've, we've said today is that Lent is a, is a, a season of, of preparation and it's a preparation for the great celebration of, of Easter. And so Lent is a season of, of remembering exactly why it is that we need Easter and why Easter is, in fact, a celebration. As part of the curse, the curse of sin in Genesis 3, God tells us this. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We are naturally from dust, but because of sin we are unnaturally back to dust. By nature we are dust bound for the fullness of life, but by the unnaturalness of sin we are dust bound back to dust, to the dust of death. Human death is the natural consequence of that most unnatural human act of sin. And during Lent, we, we who are dust, we grieve and lament and reckon with our certain return to dust. And in our passage today, in, in John 11, what we see is Jesus addressing human death. He addresses the death of his dear friend Lazarus, and the grief of Lazarus's two sisters, Martha and Mary. And in this passage, we find three important truths that guide us, that guide us in this season of Lent. We find the hurt of death, we find the humanity of Christ, and we find the hope of Easter. Let's look first at the hurt of death. Christ comes to the grieving sisters, and, and if you notice, both Mary and Martha say exactly the same thing to Jesus. They say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They're thinking the very same thing, and they both let Christ know it. There is deep grief and deep lament in this statement. There is sadness, and very likely there is great anger and frustration and confusion, and perhaps even a little bit of bitterness. Jesus, where were you? Jesus, how could you have let this happen? Scripture does not paper over this. Lament is an unavoidable part of our present life. For instance, if you look at the Psalms, you'll find that more Psalms fall into the category of Psalms of lament than any other kind of Psalm. The Psalms are preparing us to lament in a world where much is lamentable. And here, these two Jewish women, two Jewish women who knew the Psalms very well, are lamenting. They are grieving and they are not hiding their pain. They're expressing it and they're expressing it to Jesus. This is because the Bible is a book that God has given to humans, not a book that God has given to robots. 
the grief that they feel, the grief that all of us feel, is a deeply human reaction to death. To feel any other way would be inhuman. Weep and mourn and grieve. Voice your anger and frustration to God. This is the example of the psalmist when they address their great God. And this is the example of Martha and Mary when they address God in flesh, Jesus Christ. Yet Christ responds to these very two statements, or sorry, the, 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 these, these same statements. He responds to them in two very different ways. And this is because Christ knows that these two very different women need very different responses. Comfort in the face of grief is a deeply personal matter. There's, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. Jesus knows this. And so Christ, Christ who knows our frail frames because he made them and he upholds them, Christ is careful to minister to each sister in a deeply personal manner. We have a God who meets us personally in our pain. He meets us in the way that he knows that we specifically need to be comforted and in the way that he knows that we need to grow. And so how does Jesus respond to Martha? He gives her the truth that she needs to hear in the thick of her grief. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And at first, this might seem like a harsh statement of of doctrine, a kind of cold comfort at odds with what Mary really needs. Yes, it's relevant to the situation, but, but, but shouldn't Jesus wait before he goes straight into the theological truth that death, if we place our faith in Christ, is not the last word? But notice that Christ does this in a deeply personal way. Notice how he ends his response. After stating this key truth, he asks Martha, Do you, do you believe this? Do you believe this? There's nothing like death to bring us face to face with what we really believe. And so there is a sobering element in death that we need to strive to hold on to. The writer Annie Dillard in her book Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, she describes cruelty as the waste of pain. It's pain for no purpose. It's pain for no good reason. It's simply pain for the sake of of pain. Christ is not cruel, and Christ urges us not to be cruel to ourselves. He urges us to let the pain of death and our lament over the sadness of this world make us wiser. If we simply try to forget our pain and filter it out by way of distractions, then we are wasting our pain. We're being cruel to ourselves. In fact, as C.S. Lewis tells us, when we come face to face with death, quote, we see unmistakably the sort of universe in which we have all along been living, and we must come to terms with it. And so, Jesus asks Martha, do you believe this? Martha, now that you have seen and tasted the tragedy of death, now that your own dear brother has died, do you believe that death is not the last word? Do you believe that there is sure comfort and certain hope even in the midst of the deepest pain? Do you believe that dust 
can rise again. And now, wrestling more deeply with her beliefs than ever before, refusing to waste her pain, coming to terms with the actual universe that we actually live in, Martha declares, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are the one who is coming into the world. Perhaps for the very first time, she truly and personally believes this. Perhaps for the very first time, she tastes the sweet comfort that saturates and drips from these words. During this time of Lent, we are called to remember and lament the way that the world has become unnatural, all the way that dust goes back to dust. And so what in your life and relationships and community makes you lament? Don't distract yourself, but look at these things squarely in the face. Lent is, is many things, but Lent is also a time of, of diagnosis. It's a time to think about all the sorrows that Easter has come to heal. Only to the extent that we know that we need Easter, only to that extent can we truly rejoice in it. Only if we truly reckon with all of the sin-stained sicknesses of ourselves in the world can we long for Easter's full healing. And remember, remember, consuming the news about lamentable things happening in other parts of the country, in the world, this is very often a way of distracting us from the lamentable things happening right in front of us. And so as you look at the lamentable things, the things that you personally encounter, ask yourself the question that Jesus asks Martha. Do you believe this? Do you really believe in Easter? Do you really? Do you really? Now that you've seen just how much we really need Easter, do you actually think that Easter can do what it says it does? And as we learn to more fully answer yes to this question, even and especially in the face of death itself, Easter will become more and more a functional reality in our life. Don't waste your pain. Do not treat yourself cruelly. Let your pain grow you. Let it make you wiser. Let it make you rest more fully in Christ. Let it make you more hopeful. It is because we lament so deeply that we can and will rejoice so fully. The more we see the sorrow of the present world, the more we taste the hope of the Easter promise. And so, with that said, let us look at our second Lenten truth, the humanity of Christ. What about Mary? Well, Mary, like Martha, tells Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so, what does Jesus do in response this time? He simply weeps with her. So intense are his, tear, are his tears that those around him are, are surprised. They say, see how he loved him? It astounds them. It surprises them. It shocks them. Jesus is not merely human. Jesus is also God. But like us, Jesus is fully human. And here, Jesus laments just like us. He grieves. He, too, experiences deep sadness at the death of Lazarus. And if this were not so, then how could we actually affirm the humanity of Christ? If this weren't so, if he didn't sorrow like we sorrow in this fallen world, Jesus would not be human. And so, Christ weeps with Mary. 
And judging by the reaction of the crowd, it seems that Jesus even weeps more deeply than Mary. We find here that Christ is more properly human than us. Christ is not only the true God, but also the true human. We are the ones who are stifled in our lament and our mourning in the face of the tragedy of sin. We're the ones that are stifled, not Jesus. We're the ones who are acting like cold, affectionless robots, not Jesus. And how else could true goodness respond? How else could it respond to the evil of death? Sin has deadened and desensitized our faculties to just how great the sorrow of death is. Sin has desensitized to us to the effects of sin. Sin has made us less human. Sin has made us naturalize the unnatural. That's a problem. And so during Lent, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, one of the things that we must do is reckon with the sorrow, the sadness, the tragedy of death. The sadness of from dust to dust. In Scripture, we find the God who takes our humanity and who weeps with us, who weeps for us, and actually weeps more deeply than us. This is a great encouragement to us during Lent. We have a great high priest who prays with us and for, for us as we grieve and lament. Christ invites us to pray with him, to pray with him, the one who in his humanity also knows personally the bitterness of life and a fallen world. But Jesus' lament doesn't stop there. And that brings us to our third Lenten truth, the hope of Easter. The tragedy of death not only brings out our sorrow, it also brings out our anger. After Jesus weeps with Mary, we're told, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. However, as, as one commentator points out, deeply moved isn't really an adequate translation here. A truer translation of the Greek would be bellow with anger. Christ comes to the tomb and he is furious. Christ rages against the reality of death. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. Human death is an affront to God's good creation. Death is an attack, an insult, an enemy. And so Christ bellows with rage. We should also bellow with rage against death. And there's no use trying to put a good face on it. But of course, this is not the end of the story. Christ, standing at the tomb, calls out with a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus does. Jesus calls Lazarus back from death. He calls him back from dust. And yet, when we think about this, there's, there's a question that we should ask. Isn't this a kind of tease? Why does Lazarus get this special treatment and not the people that we love? Why comfort Mary and Martha in this way, Lord, but leave us alone in our grief? However, we have to remember here Jesus' words to Martha. Jesus does not say that Lazarus is the resurrection in the life. Jesus says, I, I am the resurrection in the life. Strictly speaking, Lazarus was not resurrected. Lazarus was resuscitated. Lazarus was raised to die again. 
Mary and Martha, if they outlive Lazarus, will have to mourn his death again. Think about this. Lazarus will actually have to die a second time. But even here, we're given a taste of Christ's power over death. And that's because one day, not long after this account, Christ himself will suffer death. He will be killed on the cross. He will bear the curse and consequence of the death, death that falls upon a wayward humanity. But Christ will not stay dead. Neither will Christ be resuscitated. Christ will be resurrected. He will be raised again never to die. He will be raised and he will defeat the power of death. As Jesus tells us, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And so, because of that, Christ asks all of us, do you believe this? What Lazarus tastes here in part, Christ invites us to one day taste in full if we put our faith in him. This is the promise of resurrected life that Christ offers all, all people who receive him. This is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. This is the only and ultimate hope that will comfort us in the face of death. This is the Easter hope and joy and comfort for which Lent prepares us. And few writers have given voice to this anticipation of the resurrection, this future free of lament and saturated with joy, better than C.S. Lewis in the last book of his Chronicles of Narnia. As Lewis writes of the heroes in the very final chapter of this series, all their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And so let us, too, Look forward to that day, not long from now, when Christ will come to us. He'll either rouse us from our daily routine, or he'll stir us from the grievous grave, and he will say to us, My dear child, come out of that tomb. It's time to come home. Let us respond like the Narnians. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. This is Christ's great comfort amidst the grief and lament of death. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've given to us. Lord, during this season of preparation of Lent, of fasting, of reflecting, of grieving and lamenting, Lord, help us to see more fully the sorrows of this world. And in so doing, Lord, help us to rejoice more fully in all of the healings that Easter brings. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death. Thank you, thank you for his resurrection. It's in his name we pray. Amen.